If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to one-on-one with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Pennsylvania's primary election is Tuesday, May 17th, and the Democrats have their eye on the Commonwealth's second seat in the U.S. Senate. Now, there are high stakes in this primary, and one of the candidates has a really big advantage. But for as much as it seems like John Fetterman is in the driver's seat, he hasn't gotten endorsements from the traditional Democratic establishment. Pat Loeb has been covering the Democratic primary Senate field, and she's going to fill us in on what's been happening in the race as it enters the final few days. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. So KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb has been following the hotly contested Democratic primary race for U.S. Senate and the, well, not so hotly contested bid for governor. So Pat joins us right now. And Pat, good to have you on with us again. Good to be here, Jay. So the governor's race in the Democratic primary is decided. Attorney General Josh Shapiro is running unopposed. So we can go right over to the Senate race. When it comes down to this, is it the lieutenant governor's race to lose? Does John Fetterman pretty much have this thing locked up? Well, he has a huge lead in polls. As they say, the only real poll that counts is on election day. But he's got as much as 40 points uh, of a lead over his closest contender, who is Connor Lamb. So, yes, he's also got a huge fundraising edge. So, you know, he's got a lot of backing from people with money in the Democratic Party. So I'd say, yes, it's his to lose. Why did the Democratic establishment here in the Commonwealth seem to think that Connor Lamb is considered more electable? Well, he's more moderate. He kind of looks more the part, you know, he wears suits and ties all the time, not just, you know, for debates. He, <laughs> he doesn't show up and shorts and slides at, uh, when the president comes to visit, as John Fetterman did uh, not too long ago. John's record and his history, the choices he has made, place him too far to the extreme to win at the statewide level in Pennsylvania. When he was running around the state in his gym shorts, making marijuana the number one issues in campaigning with Bernie Sanders, he lost a lot of the swing voters in our state already. He uh, is a former prosecutor. And I think, you know, Pennsylvania is a purple state. Sometimes it goes Democrat, sometimes it goes Republican. And so they think that someone closer to the middle is more likely to beat the Republican in the fall. Pat, I think with Fetterman, it even seems to go beyond the Carhartt apparel that he wears, like the vibes of him and even his campaign messaging seems different. If you look at the way his ads are filmed and the way that he's being portrayed What has it been about him that's energized the Democratic base during primary season that's been reflected by the amount of money he's brought in? What type of chord or nerve do you think he's struck? Well, I think he's every man. You know, he he's very relatable. He is Pennsylvania. You know, he's a big guy, imposing stature. He's hard to miss in any room. Yet he he is not he doesn't you know, put himself above other people. He is very much one of you guys. Um, You know, he was the mayor of Braddock, which is a very kind of down at heel town. And he had a real passion for the people there. They had a crime problem when he got elected and he had um, tattooed the 
dates of every homicide victim in the town while he was mayor on his arm. And it's just the normal Pennsylvania guy that he is, I think, is what uh, appeals to people. One of the biggest questions and one of the biggest things that Fetterman has had to answer to on the campaign trail, and at times it seemed like he's kind of tried to avoid answering for it, is why back in 2013, he pulled a shotgun on a black jogger. Now, there's a, this is a longer story surrounding this, but how much of a factor do you see this being, especially in places like Philadelphia with a large black population where people may have a little bit of pause into deciding whether they want to vote for John Fetterman or not? Well, it doesn't seem to have hurt him so far. He has, you know, his opponents bring it up constantly. Every debate, every appearance, they bring it up and he does not shy away from it. He doesn't get impatient. He doesn't get offended that they're bringing it up again. They they bring it up each time like it's the first time you're hearing this story. Probably for a lot of people, it is. I heard a burst of gunfire. I made a split-second decision to call 911 and intercept an individual, the only individual out, running from where the gunfire came as Braddock's chief law enforcement officer. You know, he's explained that he was with his son and heard gunshots and then saw someone running down the street toward a school and worried about the safety of the kids in the school. So he called 911 and chased the guy that he'd seen running. He has said repeatedly, he didn't know the guy's race. Uh, he was wearing a hoodie, you know, covered head to foot in clothing. And so didn't know that he was chasing a black guy, didn't know that he was chasing a jogger, just you know, pursuing somebody that he thought might have been responsible for gunshots and who was running toward a school. And, you know, the jogger himself has said that he doesn't blame Fetterman. Like he thinks the guy should not be, you know, blamed for this for the rest of his life, um, that he thinks he'd make a good U.S. senator. Two other names, Pat, on the Democratic primary ticket for the U.S. Senate seat, Malcolm Kenyatta and Alex Khalil. They have connections to the Philadelphia area, Philadelphia suburbs. What have you learned about them over the course of your coverage of this campaign? And why have they stuck in the race, even if they're not polling quite as well as Fetterman or Lamb? Well, Malcolm Kenyatta is a rising star. He's um, he's extremely... Um, He's a gifted orator. He he speaks on the floor. He's a state representative and he speaks on the floor in Harrisburg all the time. And, you know, he, he just has a power of rhetoric that is rousing. There were so many people who said Pennsylvania is just not ready for a black gay guy from North Philadelphia. I find that deeply offensive and not even to me. I find it offensive to people who I've met all across Pennsylvania and who do not care what I look like or who I love. He is very young. And so I would say that this campaign is maybe a test drive for him for for bigger things later on. Now he's he's run statewide. He's got his name out there as a statewide candidate. That's the beginning of something for him. And and I I do think that we will see him running for higher office, higher than the state house um, in the future. Alex Khalil is running kind of a low-key campaign. She is very sincere, but she 
understands that she doesn't have much of a chance, but she says she's running to give people hope. She's a, a borough council member in Jenkintown, um, but of course that's an unpaid position. Uh, she has a separate business and um, and she is going around the state introducing herself and meeting people and she enjoys that. And she says she's very inspired by the people that she's met across Pennsylvania. And so I, she's, it's almost like, um, she's running uh, just to give it a try. Pat, in listening to any of the debates with these candidates, any other issues that you flagged as interesting, compelling that Democrats are really zeroing in on? Well, I think, you know, fracking is a big issue in Pennsylvania because the environment is an issue on which Democrats usually uh, are, are very um, pro uh, conservation and uh, clean energy, and these candidates all are. And yet, to get elected statewide in Pennsylvania, you also have to be for fracking. Fracking is horribly damaging to the environment, and and yet uh, they've all embraced it. That's I think that's uh, politics. That's real politics. <laughs> Pat, we kind of joked at the top about how Josh Shapiro, he's got it easy right now. No one's running against him. But if you turn on the tube or are streaming something online, it's impossible to avoid seeing all the ads that he's running or seeing the yard signs in front of people's houses. What's his strategy right now? What's he doing biding his time while waiting to find out who he's going to run against? Well, he's an aggressive campaigner always. Um, he's a fighter. Uh, he doesn't have a fight this time. So he, he's just putting his energy into getting his name out there and, and getting positive attention. Uh, he's got a big war chest so he can afford to spend some, even though he doesn't have an opponent in the primary. And he's the one that benefits from that leaked Supreme Court ruling because, um, you know, Governor Wolf is the only thing that has stood between women and their right to an abortion. And Shapiro is the only candidate for governor who would, you know, be that same bulwark. Now coming up, Pat will tell us about all the local races, as well as those ballot questions that directly affect the city of Philadelphia. That's coming up next. I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Sabrina. Now, it's not just election season. Whenever we get to one of these primaries, it's also about ballot questions as well. And Pat, can you break down and explain to us some of the ballot questions that that are going to be on these ballots in Philadelphia on Tuesday? Sure. There are four questions. Three of them are kind of pro forma. One would uh, amend the city charter to take out gendered references uh, like All of the second references to the mayor and president of city council are he and him. And there has already been a woman city council president. So so that's outdated. And uh, they're also going to remove nouns like policeman and fireman um, and replace them with firefighter and police officer to indicate that, you know, not only men do those jobs. And the, the another ballot question would do the same thing to the educational supplement because the um, the superintendent of schools and the chairman of the board of education are referred to as he and him on second reference so that that would take that out. Um, another one would kind of institutionalize the Fair Housing Commission, which has operated continually for the last sixty years, but 
at the pleasure of the mayor. It was created in 1962 by the mayor, and it's just been extended by every mayor since then. This would make it part of the city charter and just ensure its longevity. And the fourth one is the most interesting one. It would completely revamp the Zoning Board of Adjustment. And Zoning Board of Adjustment is very important in Philadelphia where development is just going like wildfire and developers whose projects don't conform to the city code have to go to the Zoning Board of Adjustment. Sometimes they can get a zoning change through council, but often they end up at the Zoning Board of Adjustment asking for a variance. And the Zoning Board has been pretty generous with those variances. They very seldom fail. And this has upset a lot of community groups. So council is really responding to the community groups and saying, first of all, you know, you can't just get appointed to the Zoning Board of Adjustment because you're friends with the mayor, right? You should have some expertise. So they're going to expand it and require certain expertise to get appointed, which is either an urban planner, an architect, a zoning lawyer, uh, someone in the construction industry, and then two people would be appointed from community groups. And the their hope, the city council president uh, is the one who authored this bill, and he's hoping that that will give community groups more say when developers come before the ZBA. And a lot of that obviously goes into Pat. You cover City Hall. What other local races here in the city have you got an eye on? Well, I've been watching these state house races where the Democratic City Committee endorsed challengers to three incumbents. And these are all uh, incumbents who are like pretty progressive, who got elected in upset races where they unseated incumbents. Um, And so they kind of went against the party when they first got elected but they would still like the party endorsement now that they're in there. Uh, the, the city committee often says, oh, we just we just always endorse incumbents. That's why we, endure, you know, but they didn't endorse these three incumbents. And um, what's raising a lot of eyebrows within the party is that the people that the, the challengers that the committee did endorse are more conservative than the incumbents that are running. Um, This happened in South Philadelphia with State Representative Liz Fiedler, in West Philadelphia with uh, State Representative Rick Kajewski, and in the Northwest, State Representative Chris Robb. They all have challengers that are uh, more conservative in one way or another, and that's who the party endorsed. Oh, and there was a new wrinkle in that the challengers, a couple of them are being backed by Republican money, actually. Um, And it's because they're pro-charter school. So these are not just more conservative, they're they're pro-charter school candidates. And the the, pro-charter school group in Philadelphia, a PAC, just sent out a mailer attacking these three specific candidates and uh, touting the challengers. And so there seems to be a real push on by the pro-charter school forces, um, which are kind of led in this area by the the Susquehanna group, the this the chief officers of the Susquehanna group, with their billionaires are among the richest people in the state, and they give heavily to Republican campaigns. 
but they're backing the challengers in these three races where there are Democratic incumbents. Pat, I wanted to ask you about the city angle of redistricting because I live in Philadelphia. I got a knock on my door with somebody canvassing who told me that I'm in a new district. Didn't know that until somebody came to my door and told me for this election. And I try to pay attention to things like this. So I have to imagine there are other people who might be in different districts or new districts who don't know about it. Do you think that will have any impact and where can people go to find out where they, what district they're in now? You can put your address into the city commissioner's website and it will tell you exactly what, who's running to represent you. Um, And and that's how you'll find out your district. Um, But uh, you know, this is something that happens every 10 years after the census, everything gets redistricted. And yes, every time this happens, there are consequences for um, the makeup of the legislature and Congress, um, not so much for city council because they're all Democrats. <laughs> but, um, but the map uh, that was approved has um, pretty much been vetted by both parties. And the conclusion is that it, it, it's pretty fair what the number of um, Republican and Democratic seats will stay the same with these new boundaries. And, and it's, it's less gerrymandered in most of the districts, not all. <laughs> That's KYW News Radio City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb, who has just educated a lot of us on everything that's happening with these, not just the elections, but even the change in districts, because now I have to kind of keep an eye on to see whether my district changed on a couple of these ballots as well. Pat, thank yeah, you. Go to fillavotes.org and just type in your address. Well, make sure one more time that's fillavotes.org if you're listening to us, just to make sure you know you're voting in the right precinct and in the right district. Thank you so much, Pat, for joining us today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Sabrina Boyd Circa. I'm Brian Seltzer. And we've got a preview of what's happening on the Republican side of things with our Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward, who'll check in with us from Harrisburg. So go to the episode list and check that one out next.